0: Welcome back to So Money. Happy Friday, TGI Friday. My voice is a little sore, I have to say. I just got... Back from FinCon 2015 in Charlotte over the last weekend. And, um, I think my son's coming down with something. So we're a little under weather under the weather in our household, but, uh, still in good spirits and excited for today's episode. As you know, Fridays are now the ask for new editions of So Money. Saturday and Sunday, we go bye bye because you know what? I need to sleep. (laughs) I need to catch up. And uh, I think you do too. A lot of you have written in saying, you know, we like the seven day format, but it's hard to catch up. So, uh, we are dedicating today to Ask Farnoosh. And as promised, as we do these Ask Farnooshes on Fridays, I thought it'd be fun to occasionally bring on a partner in crime as we tackle your questions and your comments. And my guest today, you know her if you've been listening to the show, Sophia Barra. She is a certified financial planner dedicated to specifically helping young adults, young families, millennials uh, get on track and live their best financial lives. She was episode two 35 on the show, so 20 episodes back. Sophia Barra is also the founder of Gen Y Planning, and she's back with us today to tackle your questions about money, credit, debt, you name it. Sophia, welcome to the show again. Thank you so much for having me back,
1: Farnoosh. Um, my voice is also tired as well, because I had two conferences back to back, both the XY Planning Network Conference and FinCon as well. So I'm a, my voice is a little tired. But <laughs> other than that, I'm happy to get back into the swing of things. And I'm so excited to be on your show today. So thank you so much for having me back.
0: Absolutely. I'm so glad we got to connect at FinCon. What did you think of FinCon? Were you, did you get uh, what you wanted out of that. I know there was just so much going on and conferences, let's be honest, can be pretty overwhelming. But how did you find the event? Yeah, it was so much fun.
1: I met amazing people. I got to see a ton of old friends, but it was huge this year. And so that was a little overwhelming for me. I wasn't expecting it to have grown as as quickly as it has. Um, but overall we, they started doing an advisor track this year, which was really fun. And so that was a lot of specific content geared specifically for financial planners, which was so much fun to be able to see that, uh, that there's enough of us coming to FinCon now that makes it worth it for them to have a separate track, which was awesome.
0: Yeah. And you know, Phil Taylor, the the founder of FinCon was on the show and he told me back when he was on So Money that he's thinking next year, believe it or not, he wants to introduce and open the doors to consumers. So clients, readers, blog fans, they uh, may be getting their ticket soon. And I, I don't know. I mean, cause I agree with you. It started with just the core bloggers and then it expanded to traditional media, financial writers. And now it's financial planners like you and, and, uh, yeah. and even people of, you know, uh, New York times fame, like Carl Richards was there this weekend. and Oh, he, isn't he great? He He's is just the sweetest, most like down to earth guy. He's Absol- just lovely. Yeah. I aired his interview this week. I, Interviewed him at the, at the conference. But Sophia, you know, I wanted to bring you on the show because you have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to specifically helping young people with their financial questions. And to be honest, a lot of times it's not about retirement. It's just about getting through what's on their plate currently, whether it's student loans, trying to make more at their jobs and ultimately making sure that their financial life is in accordance with their personal ambitions and dreams and goals. Whoa, what was that? Oh, sorry. That was um, <laughs> a door just – oh, the wind
1: just made a door slam you okay? in my house. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, just checking. Okay, well, yeah, we'll we'll move on. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, hopefully, we can edit that out. Yeah, no,
0: we're gonna keep it in. I I keep (laughs) keep, keep all the good and the bad in these days. Uh, But let's start with Chris. Uh, We have a question here from Chris. She says, "Hey, Farnoosh. Hey, Sophia. My my wife and I are expecting our first child in the spring. Yay!" Woo-hoo. We're planning to open a 529 account soon and creating a budget for stuff like food and clothes. Any other recommendations I should plan for financially for our little one? Um, well, Chris, I'll just say as a new mom, 15 months. Actually, Evan just turned 15 months this week. Yay, Evan. Wow. I would say to you, Chris, don't buy into the hype I love that you started a five twenty nine account. You're doing the right things. You're you're making the boring good decisions now. Um, of course, every, there's a lot of excitement to go out there and get all sorts of clothes and the crib and you know toys. But and the industry, let me tell you, it's a billion dollar baby industry. There's going to be a lot of pressure to buy the newest, greatest, coolest things for your kid because otherwise, you just don't love your kid if you don't get these things. But I would say to you, take it slow. Accept hand me downs. At, and don't be shy about that, you know, because especially when it comes to clothes and gear, uh, that stuff, your child will outgrow those things very quickly. So if you can get um, gently used items in those categories now, do that and wait till your kid's born. You know, a lot of times, and I made this mistake, I went out there and I stocked up on a particular kind of bottle and a particular kind of diaper. Well, you don't know until your child is born what he or she Will like what they're sensitive to or what they prefer, and so I would say maybe get one of a couple of bottles, maybe a small pack of a certain kind of diapers, another small pack of another certain kind of diapers. Use the first month to kind of do a trial and error, and then invest once you know what really works for your family and your kid. Invest in that. Otherwise, you end up with stuff that you don't you you bought unknowingly that this is not actually a good brand or a good fit for your kid. So that's one thing that I kind of learned the hard way that I would suggest. Sophia, what do you say to new ti- first-time parents that come to you as clients? Yeah,
1: so I think so much of it is focused on the kiddo and that this is a great time to look at our own personal finance situation and make sure that we have protection planning in place. And so what I mean by that is term life insurance. I usually recommend about seven to ten times your salary just as a rule of thumb. Um, and that can be through a group employer plan and um, or it can also be buying an individual life insurance policy for half a million or a million dollars covering 20 or 30 year term. Um, I'm a fan of having uh, an individual policy outside of work so that if you leave the job, you don't lose that term life insurance as well. Um, So that's one big thing to think about. Another thing is do you have disability insurance in place? Now that you're going to be providing for somebody else, if something were to happen to you and you were to be, co- be out of work for many months at a time, your lifestyle is a lot more expensive now, um, having disability insurance in place would usually provide about 60% of coverage um, on your income. And so that's really important. And then estate planning documents. So setting up a will, and when you set up a you name a guardian for your child you know who would you want to care for your child if something were to happen to you or happen to you and your significant other um you know do you really want the court deciding who your your baby would go to uh so it's really important to get some estate planning documents in place and also just like powers of attorney healthcare directives. It's a great time to set up trusts if you know if your wealth is growing significantly or if you have a lot of life insurance um you know if you have a couple million dollars in life insurance and something happens to you and your spouse, that's a lot of money all of a sudden, um, you know, to make sure that it's in a trust and and that you name um, an executor of your estate and a trustee, you know, a trustee and whatnot.
0: I love that you're bringing all this up, Sophia, because it's not the sexiest stuff. It's not the funnest or the cutest stuff, but it's, it's important. And I think that uh, a lot of times there's a, a lot of distraction around the baby, you're right, you know, the gear, the toys, the clothes, because that's fun, but... Right. Uh, more importantly, you should really now, as you, now that you have the time, because I'll tell you, estate planning takes time, getting life insurance, shopping around for that takes time. And mm-hmm. once your child is born, it's a lot easier to just buy a onesie from the baby gap, <laughs> you know, on right. sale than to go, oh gosh, you know, I should really get some life insurance. Um, it, so the type of kind of, um, the the time the bandwidth that you need to focus on these things now is the time to do it. And I have another question here, actually, along the same lines of, I suppose you know, life stages. This couple already has a child together, but they are about to get married. So they had the kid first. Um. So Elizabeth says, "Hey, Farnish, mm-hmm. my fiance and I are getting married soon. We've been living together for three years. We have a child together. We've already started merging our accounts." We uh, pay bills from one account, but we keep separate accounts as well. My fiance seems hesitant to set savings goals together. We want to move out of our state in two years, and there are a lot of costs associated with that. He's reluctant to cut out luxuries like cable and he isn't saving with me. So how do I get him on board and live a more frugal lifestyle? Thanks for your question, Elizabeth. I mean, this is this is really, I think, what a lot of couples struggle with. There was actually a study done by the University of Michigan not too long ago that found that opposites attract, and particularly when it comes to money. So financial opposites, people who are spenders tend to marry savers and vice versa. It's kind of exciting in the beginning, but then as you start to build a life together, it obviously proves challenging. What would you say to this, Sophia? Because it seems like there is... There, is, there are layers to this. And it's not just about him agreeing to cut out luxuries. Like There is a an issue here of the two of them not getting on the same page philosophically, perhaps.
1: Yeah. So I actually have a couple of recommendations. The first is to hire a financial planner. I think that they have enough complication in their situation that they could really benefit from sitting down with somebody and going through all these different things. Um, from, you know, tax planning to estate planning to um, figuring out a budget together, savings goals, talking through those things. And then also I would recommend that they do some sort of um, like premarital counseling before they get married because these are um, things that a lot of times you go through in when you're working with somebody and kind of navigating through those things. Uh, You know, it's all about communication and having a third party there can be super helpful in in getting on the same page as a couple.
0: Is it... It's fixable. That's the good news, right? It's, it, this isn't a, a situation where, you know what? Maybe they should cut their losses and not get married because I don't know. From the alf- from the outside, it seems like there is a lot of discord here. Um, and you wonder what's the root of that, but you think it's something that with counseling, they can thrive.
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, that's why I think it can be so beneficial to, you know, do premarital counseling and to work with a financial planner and get on the same page, you know, before you get married, um, because these, these problems are still going to be there once you get married.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. So they're only going to get more complex. Yeah.
1: Right. And, um, and it's, it's just, there's a lot going on here and I think that, um, they need to know, you know, so she wants more of a frugal lifestyle. And, uh, and so I, that could be a really good thing, or that could be that she has like a fear of spending money at all. You know, I worked with some of those clients too, where they're just really like, they're making good money. They're doing well. They can, you know, so the financial planner can kind of help navigate and say like, Hey, actually like you are putting the you've put these savings goals in place and whatnot. So it's okay for you to, you know, spend a little bit in this area. Um, and, and kind of a, a yours, mine and ours approach is something that I often suggest where, you know, they each have a certain percentage of their incomes going towards shared expenses, going in a joint account. And then they would have their own individual accounts where they would have some spending money for each of them where they wouldn't have to answer to the other person. And that can be really helpful.
0: I love that tip. Have a yours, mine and ours account. Sometimes seeing the numbers, for someone who is not convinced yet that living a frugal lifestyle is going to really be beneficial, maybe what she needs to do is just be a little more convincing as opposed to just saying, hey, you know, we're going to want to move out of state and that's going to be a lot of money. So we need to cut off cable. She could say, you know, if we can somehow figure out a way to shore up a few hundred dollars a month from here now till the next calendar year, guess what? We're going to have X thousands of dollars and that will allow us to do this X, Y, or Z. So sometimes seeing it, um, especially with men, I'll say it, you know, they like to see the numbers, Excel. I like, I like it too. I'm not saying just men do this, but I know a lot of times men, like they think very linear, they're very linear. They like to see things. They want to make sure that the numbers add up. Um, so if you haven't done that yet, I would say that could be a good next step to kind of be a little more convincing of why you think it would be helpful to live uh, a, f- a more frugal lifestyle because if, at the end of the day, you have shared goals and you want to achieve them.
1: Right. And if cable is something that he values and that's important to him, maybe there's something else that he is willing to give up. You know, maybe right. he'll start packing his lunch a couple days a week, or maybe he'll, you know, uh, maybe they'll cut, you know, a membership somewhere else that they're not using anymore. So you might say like, hey, if, if we've looked at the numbers and we see that we need to save $400 a month in order to be able to move out of the state, um, you know, what are some areas that you think we could cut back in? And you might be surprised at what he comes up with.
0: Here's a question from Siavash. Hi, what is the best iPhone software to keep track of my expenses? I just need to know what is going out and what is coming in really simple. What do you think? What do you like to use, Sophia? So one that keeps coming up that I
1: think is really interesting is called um, You Need a Budget. So YNAB.com. And I think there's a one-time fee for that because there's an online um, system, but then there's also an app that's apparently amazing. And I know a lot of people that have started using that and that's really changed um, their spending significantly.
0: The founder of YNAB, youneedabudget.com is Jesse Meekum. And he was actually on the So Money Podcast episode 95. If you go to somoneypodcast.com and just uh, search for YNAB or Jesse Meekum, that's M-E-C-H-A-M, you'll be able to learn more about the Program through that interview and of course, Jesse's story as an entrepreneur. I, I know, I, of course, mint.com has been around for a very long time and it's around because it's popular for a reason. People like its simplicity. Uh, but I, I have also heard that too, Sophia, you know, that YNAB, what people like about that is that it allows you to really plan ahead and, um, really do that forecasting that some of the other tools. And I know, I know this person, so you have is looking for something really simple, but, uh, perhaps maybe you would benefit from something a little bit more Detail oriented, because as you get older and you have not just expenses to track, but insurance to track and goals to track and a business to track, uh, I think YNAP really serves a lot of those purposes.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is if you just want to track your expenses, Mint.com can be great for that, because if you're with especially one of the big banks, it really automates all of those expenses. Um, and so it's really easy that, you know, you can link your credit card and your bank account to it and whatnot. Um, however, what I think it lacks is that planning portion Mm -hmm. of, you know, it's, it's more like, uh, it's not proactive, whereas YNAB is more proactive where you're assigning dollars to specific areas. And I think that's, what's really helpful and that's what makes people, um, change, change their habits going forward and allows them to save more in the future versus I think when you're just tracking your expenses and seeing where your money's going. Sometimes we have the tendency just to beat ourselves up over past, like over things that we bought in the past, as opposed to create a plan for the future of, okay, how can we, what, what are we going to change going
0: forward? Excellent. Great, great answer, Sophia. Uh, Joe, he says, I have an extreme early retirement plan. Uh, And on the show, we've had many people who've talked about retiring at 25, 35. He says, we save 70% of our income. Wow. Yeah. Which is one of the common denominators in these early retirees, I've noticed. Uh, But he says, after maxing out our tax-advantaged accounts, where should we save the rest? Taxable accounts, Roth, can we have both? It's been so easy to max out the IRA and the 401k, but now that we've finished, we don't know what to do. What are your suggestions? I don't think you can have – you can have a taxable and a Roth, as in other words, a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. However, you can't uh, – I believe you have to only – the, the limit 6000 so combined you can only invest 6000 Is that right?
1: So it, the limit's actually $5,500. Um, and you can – yeah, combined you can only contribute – Um, That amount total. And I would actually suggest that they consider switching from the traditional IRA to a Roth IRA in their situation because they're already maxing out their 401ks. They're getting that upfront tax advantage. But now it's, I think it's time for them to diversify um, amongst um, different tax buckets. So to have Roth money, um, 401k money. So we have, you know, Roth money and then pre tax money. And then they'd also recommend that this couple starts a brokerage account and starts funneling money into that. Because if you're planning on retiring early, you can't touch um, those IRAs until you're 59 and a half. Uh, The 401k you can sometimes touch if you're 55. But I mean, it sounds like they're going to be retiring way earlier than that. So they're going to need to be able to pull money from somewhere. And instead of just having it sit in a savings account, I think a brokerage account is a great fit for that. Um, and you can start a brokerage account at any discount brokerage firm, um, Vanguard, I really like Betterment, Schwab, uh, those types of companies. And then, um, and then, you know, really starting to, to put away money there. Um, and then having some money in an online high, you know, high yield savings account so that if you do need to access it for emergencies or whatnot, um, that you can do that as well.
0: So a question then for you, Sophia, if they're, I don't know, he doesn't say what year, what age they want to retire, but let's say he wants to retire in the next 10 years when he'll be 40. Um, Maybe he Mm -hmm. does want to retire even sooner. So given that you can't really touch your 401k and your IRA until around 59 and a half, should they put the bulk of their investments in a brokerage account so that it'll be more accessible to them? Uh, given that, you know, it could be 20, 30 years before they, well, I suppose 20 years before they would be able to access the other retirement accounts, how should they sort of divide their uh, their retirement dollars
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to do to max out the four hundred and one k, and then max out the Roths. um, Another option for this couple too that I just thought of would be an HSA as well um, for healthcare costs. If they, uh, that you know, that's another thing that a lot of people are using, Um, earmarking that for retirement as well. Um, And so that would be another kind of pre-tax account that they could put money into. And the limit on that is. Three thousand. Uh, I think it's around. It's around three thousand for individuals and um, six thousand for couples. I think it's a little bit higher than that right now. Um, and but I would say after doing that, to just keep funneling those dollars into um, that brokerage account because they're going to need to be able to pull money from somewhere. It's also hard when you don't know. You know how much are they going to need to pull? are both of them going to retire at the same time or is one going to keep working? They're going to live off of just one income and then the, their retirement assets are just going to grow for a long time and they're not going to need to touch them for a while. So I think this, what's great is that this couple has a lot of different options and flexibility um, with, you know, in terms of um, what they could do with that. And um, just to confirm the, the 2015 IRS limits on HSAs, it's, $3,350 for an individual HSA plan. And if they're on a family plan, they can put... In six thousand six hundred and fifty dollars, and that's pre tax money that can go towards that they can use towards healthcare costs at any time, um, or they can you, you they can actually invest those dollars as well and for the future, which is great.
0: This sort of dovetails Angie's question. She writes in and she says she's been funding a Roth IRA and an HSA to use for retirement. Are there any other tax advantage places for her to save for retirement?
1: You know, not off the top of my head. I think a brokerage account is great for her. Um, you know, a Roth is not a tax advantage account, so just so she knows, um, you know, she could switch. Um, you know, she could do the traditional if she's eligible for that. But I think that the if she wants to do to get the upfront tax deduction um but she may or may not qualify depending on her incomes so i would probably stick with the roth if i was her just cuz i like that that diversification between um tax buckets as well and i think that a brokerage account is just a great next step for her that's really flexible money um and allows her to be able to to really um you know invest for the long term and um and take advantage of of you know since she does have extra money um you know, take advantage of the compound interest that that could earn.
0: She, by the way, wrote that she has a, a money pension purchase plan from her employer. Her employer contributes 10% automatically for salary. So it's basically a pension. Yeah. Um, have you, do you hear about these anymore? I'm so, my jaw's dropping to, <laughs> to read this. Yeah. I'm like, wait, where does she work? I, I do see them, but
1: um, you see them a lot with teachers, uh, firefighters, police officers. Um, but it's, you know, very, it's few and far between now. Um, I think, you know, it's even there's just not as I don't think there's going to be very many pensions left for our generation. So I think she's doing the right thing by wondering, okay, where else should I be putting money away?
0: Let's switch gears now and talk about online calculators. This is a question from TJ. He says, I've been using a compound interest calculator on the internet, a couple of them, and I feel as though I have yet to find one that is accurate. And this is because um, you're only able to input one average return over your investment timeframe. I have 49 years until I plan on retiring, so I know I will have at least 10 negative return years. Uh, trying to account for these with a lower percentage, say two or 3% won't be accurate because one negative year could take two to three positive years to recover back to before the negative year. He's very technical, TJ. And yeah. he, he likes to, he likes to get the exact answer. I can tell. And he knows, I know this might be a little convoluted, but I hope you can find, help me figure this out. And you know, honestly, I, I would say to check out, before I, oh, I turn this over to you, Sophia, Todd Treseter, who is with the FinCon community, he's the founder of financialmentor.com. He's been a guest on the show. He has some cool calculators on his site, and I think he has it so that you can plug and chug a little differently than the traditional straightforward, like one, uh, give us one per average uh, annual yield. So um, what do you like? Is there anything online that you'd recommend?
1: I think the TJ needs to not be so concerned like <laughs> I, about this because I think the big thing is um you know a lot of financial planners are using 7 to 8% as an average rate of return and that includes the market downturns right so we're just saying you know we're saying that some years you might earn 12% other years you might earn negative 5 other years you might earn you know negative 20%. And then you might have two years where it's, you know, 20% and, you know, 25%. And then over time that that averages to about 8%. Um, But you know, predicting forty-nine years of stock market returns is really difficult.
0: (laughs) So he's like, "Well, I know it's going to be ten negative return years." Well, how do you actually know that? I know that there there is a bit of a yeah, Right? right. I mean, historically, yes, every five years there's been some kind of negative turn, like really bad or a bit of a not a recession, but but significant enough that it's been noted in history. Um, So maybe that's where he's getting the 10.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, he could really benefit from working with a financial planner. It sounds like he has, you know, he's really has a lot of in-depth questions and getting, doing a comprehensive financial plan where, you know, some, some financial planners use really um, in-depth software where they're actually putting in, you know, inflation rates and Saying that your income goes up a certain amount per year and adding in your bonuses and taking into account Social Security and how that affects it. And if that, that kind of robust plan is something that he's looking for, there's a lot of financial planners out there that um, use like Money Guide Pro or different financial planning softwares in order to, to figure that out. And um, so maybe yeah. that's a good next step.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about Gen Y planning. I know that it's unlike the traditional model, at least the fee model, which is that you pay a percentage of your underlying assets or uh, your, I suppose your, um, yeah, of your investable yeah. assets, you kind of work um on a case-by-case with your clients and it's not so financially heavy and daunting. Well,
1: I my model is different so that I can work with people among all asset levels and all income levels. And so what I do is I charge an initial planning fee followed by a monthly subscription so that you can work it into your monthly budget, just like you would your gym membership or your cable bill or your cell phone bill. So I charge 1500 to 1999 upfront. And then I charge a monthly subscription of 149 to 199 a month. And I do a comprehensive financial plan up front. So there's a lot that goes into that initial plan. And, um, and then, you know, I give you recommendations and tax planning, insurance, investments, estate planning, um, and connect you with people in, in my network that can really help help you put your estate planning documents in place, help you get the term life insurance you need, Um, take another look at your property and casualty insurance. And we work together on kind of coordinating all those things and also figuring out a, a savings and spending plan and a debt repayment plan and what we should do in terms of retirement and investments um, And then I also, some of my clients want assets, their assets managed as well. And what's nice is that I don't have any minimums. Um, So there's just an additional fee for that, which is just under 1%. It's 0.95%. And I use Betterment Institutional for that. And I've been really pleased with their services so far. And my clients love that it's easy to open an account online and, And, um, yeah. And so that's one model I have to serve my clients and that's called my financial accountability program. But I had all of these great prospects that were coming to me saying, Hey, Sophia, I really want to work with you, but I just have a few like burning questions that I need answered first. And I don't know if I'm ready for, um, working with a planner on an ongoing basis, you know, do you have anything else? And so I started this thing called my quick start session. And it's a one time uh, financial planning session. It's a Skype call or a Google Hangout for 90 minutes. We dive deep in two to three financial planning topics of your choosing. And then I shoot you an email afterwards, kind of recapping our conversation. And along with that, I attach an action checklist that tells you, here's what I want you to do this week, this month in the next few months.
0: Wow. 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 And, and so my gosh, you really know the psyche of the young adult.
1: <laughs>
0: You've really figured it out. Well, you are one. So that helps.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just built what I would want in a, you know, what, what I would be willing to pay for and what I, what my friends were coming to me telling me they wanted. Right. And it was like, I want to talk to somebody about my specific situation and I'm willing to pay a fee for a service but I don't, I, you know, I'm, I have a lot of student loan debt, or I have a lot of questions about my 401k and my benefits. And I don't know who to talk to about that. And I want to know, like, can we afford to buy or should we rent? And I, and so I get a, I think I have a really fun job because I get to help my clients navigate through those things and figure out a plan to put, to reach multiple goals simultaneously. So we can maximize their current financial situation. And that's really fun.
0: Well, let's help Jen out now. She has a question about maximizing savings and investing. She's kind of confused about how to balance those two buckets. So she says, hey, Farnish, love your podcast. For someone who grew up in a household where money was not to be discussed, I feel like I'm a bit behind on finance, but I'm trying to catch up. I'm 28. Just started making a six-figure income. Well, Good job, Jen. That's awesome. Nice. Trying- yeah, I know. Trying to save as much as I can. I max out my 401k and Roth. Great, but I'm wondering how much money should I leave in savings versus investing in an index fund? I have about $35,000 saved right now. So is leaving 10000 in savings and investing the rest too aggressive? What's your advice? Yeah, this is a great
1: question. Um, a lot of people want to know how much should they have in emergency savings? And my rule of thumb is usually three months of net pay saved for emergencies. So if after she maxes out her 401k and her, you know, has these other, um, you know, health benefits and taxes taken out of her paycheck and whatnot, let's say her net pay is $5,000 per month. I would have her set aside $15,000 dollars for savings, and then um, I would feel comfortable having her move the other um, you know the other amount to um, to an investment account. so that'd be like 20 grand.
0: And this is after she's maxed out her 401k and her Roth IRA with her income. Um, she's got so I assume that's the 35,000 that's left and she wants to do maybe an index fund and a brokerage account. Um, that's what that sounds does that seem like what that sounds to me like what she's saying.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's what, how I'm interpreting it as well. So I would say, you know, three months of net pay saved for emergencies, invest the rest. And, um, and I wouldn't just do one index fund. I would do, um, an asset allocation of different index funds. Um, so to ever kind of do a little bit more research around that, I think would be good instead of just, you know, throwing it all in, in one index bond,
0: And I'd love for you to explain, because you mentioned this when I had you on the show as my guest on So Money, you mentioned your rationale behind the three-month savings cushion rule of thumb, as opposed to what we typically hear thrown out uh, for everybody else, which is you know six to nine months. Why three months for a millennial?
1: So I think that millennials can actually, are pretty marketable and can find jobs pretty quickly. I don't, know any of my friends that have been out of work for three months, I don't think. And I think if they were, it was like a really unique situation. Um, so I think you have to really think about how quickly could I get a job? How marketable am I? Um, how much of my income depends on, you know, how much of my income am I living off of versus how much am I saving? And, um, And then also for a lot of couples, what I found is for dual income earning households, if you save three months of your net pay and if one of you were to lose your job, that would actually last probably about six months if you were both making roughly the same. So those are kind of some of the reasons why I've kind of leaned towards that three-month mark um, rather than that, you know, six- to nine-month mark. And the other thing that's great about this, you know, about Jen's situation is if she had three months of net pay saved for emergencies and she did go through that money, she would then have a brokerage account in which she could, you know, tap if she needed to and not have to touch those, the 401K or the Roth IRA or whatnot. Um, so, you know, I feel really comfortable you know, with that recommendation of three months.
0: We're going to end with another question from a Jennifer, a different Jennifer. She's 43 years old. I actually did not send this to you earlier, Sophia. And this is my wild card question. Hold on. She says, I'm 43 with a little money in my 401k. She has about $18,000 in her 401k. She has a lot of unsecured debt, $8,000, which isn't crazy, but it's, you know, it is what it is. It's $8,000. She's got $65,000 in student loans, and then she has $3,000 in medical expenses. So roughly uh, $75,000 in debt, combining her unsecured debt, her student loans, her medical expenses. She also owns her home. Her mortgage is $1,400 a month. That includes her dues, her HOA dues. Mm-hmm. She says she lists paycheck to paycheck. How can she save so she can retire in 20 years? Oh, by the way... She wants to have a kid in the next year from via IVF or artificial insemination.
1: Wow! Yeah, Um, there's a lot going on. So the first thing that I would suggest is to really get the credit card debt under control, Um, and you know, making sure she's up to date on all of her payments. So she hopefully she's at least paying her student loans on time, paying her credit cards on time, paying her mortgage on time. Um, So if her credit score is decent, I would actually have her consider um transferring her debt to a 0% interest card. And I know that Chase Slate has one that's at 15% uh, or sorry, uh, 15 months at 0% interest. Um, so that's one that I would consider doing. Another thing um, is making sure she's on the right student loan repayment program. So that can be, you know, if she has a lot of federal loans, there's different, um, income-based programs such as pay as you earn, income-based repayment, public service loan forgiveness, if she's working for a, a nonprofit. Um, and so I would have her look into seeing if she qualifies for one of those, um, income student loan programs. Specifically, pay as you earn is, is probably the best one that's out there right now. Um, I would make sure she's taking advantage of at least her 401k match at her current company. So, if she's not contributing at least enough to get the match, I would have her do that. Otherwise, she's leaving free money on the
0: table. And
1: um, what about terms- having a
0: kid, though? I mean, where does that fit into this picture? Yeah. So, obviously, it's like take care of your debt first, but right. not just the financial uh, reality of IVF and AI is, is very high, but it's emotionally just such a, an emotional journey. You know, a lot, a lot of my girlfriends have gone through IVF and it's, um, it's not always a, you know, a one shot thing. It's like, it's a process, it's a journey and it's very time consuming and emotionally taxing. So doing that while trying to get out of debt, would you suggest you kind of compartmentalize and get the debt out first before pr- starting that journey?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that if she doesn't get the debt under control and build up some savings, what's going to happen if she does get pregnant and the baby comes and now she's also paying off a loan for IVF, she still has credit card debt, she, you know, I mean, honestly, in this situation, if she really, really wants a baby, and I think looking at selling her home and paying off a bunch of her debt and building up some savings if she has some equity in her home could be a really good move for her. Um, but she's really going to have to think about making big, big moves. Um, like, what can she do for a side hustle to earn more income right now? Or what can she do? Can she switch jobs to, so that she's making more? Um, because if that, if having a baby is a really big priority, there's a lot financially that she's going to need to do to prepare for that.
0: And maybe not retire in 20 years. I'm, you know, assuming that oh, yeah. you enjoy your work or you are healthy and, you know, your child's only going to be 20 by then.
1: I was just going to say, you're (laughs) going to have a college student. Right. You're going to have a college student, which,
0: and by the way, you know, they're not necessarily just emerging into the real world independent after college. They're coming back. You might still have to support your baby, your child. So, um, you know, maybe realistically retiring in 20 years is not the goal. It should be something like 25 years or 30 years Yeah. And what is retirement now? Right. So that's the other thing
1: people are keep saying things like, Oh, millennials aren't going to be able to retire till they're 73. And, you know, and all of this stuff. And, and I think that you're going to see a lot more people phasing into work that they love, um, as they get older and, you know, taking different jobs and choosing to work because frankly, I mean, you have to plan so that, you know, she'll probably live till her nineties. So if she retires at, you know, 62 or 63, she's going to have what? Another 30 years of not working. What is she going to do? And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. are going to do want to like, you know, a lot of people in their sixties are really healthy now and want to do more meaningful work.
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, and to start thinking about that now, you know, a little bit, like what would you right. like to retire into as opposed yeah. to, you know, uh, going, uh, you know, throwing in the towel at sixty sixty-five. Well, Sophia, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for being my very special guest on this Ask Varnish. It was awesome. really it was really Ask Sophia. I just sat here and listened and learned a lot. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you're so welcome. And I've just had an awesome time. And anytime you you want to me to hop on the show,
0: I would love to join you. Hey, I'm gonna you know what? watch what you wish for because (laughs) (laughs) it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You've been awesome. You've helped us a lot. Sophia Barra, Gen Y Planning. Everybody check out episode 235 on So Money to learn more about Sophia, including her money mistakes, her philosophies, her habits. Yeah. All the good stuff. And in the meantime, hope your day is so money.